This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Well, I want to welcome you guys. Thank you for being here. How's it going, GYC? Amen. Uh, why did you guys come to GYC? Let's hear some of your reasons why you're here. Shout them out. First time, checking it out first time? To get lit? Yes. A student. To learn? To learn from Trump. A student. Or is that F student? I guess that depends, right? Politically, you see. <laughs> no politics, yeah. Um, what are some reasons you came to GYC? I heard some really good people were sharing with me today some amazing things feeling like you're part of a movement of young people that feel the same way about our message. Is that true? Being encouraged to see other young people standing solid for God. What are some other reasons? Getting into the Bible. Did you guys appreciate the message last night? Talk about the spirit of prophecy and the Word of God, getting in the Word of God. Very blessed. Well, I'm honored to be here today. I'm honored to speak at GYC. Uh, today we're going to be talking about learning from Trump. And the reason it's titled like that is to get as many of you in here as possible. So I can see that worked, and uh, we'll be spending a little time on that, but getting into the real meat, because what I really want to learn is learn from Christ, amen? Uh, no matter who the person is, uh, we want to learn from Christ, right? Amen? So um, I wanted to uh, thank you for coming. I want to take just a few moments to have a word of prayer, and let's thank Jesus for being in our midst. Let's do that. Lord, we are so thankful to be here with you. Father, we thank you that many years ago, as a group of just a few young people got together and they cried out to you and said, Lord, we want to do something great for you. And you put on their heart to start GYC. And now we have 4,000 here and 7,000 on Sabbath probably. It's just a movement around the world. Your young people excited about your message that you gave us. Father, we realize that we're not better than other denominations. We're not. But we've been given a greater responsibility. You have given our church the very last message of warning and hope to the world before you come back just like you gave that message to Jonah and Noah. You gave it to our church. Father, we've got to get serious about it because times are dark right now and people need to hear the message. You, you're calling for leaders, Lord. Leaders who are lit up by your spirit and leaders who catch your vision and get involved in that. Lord, we're tired of asking you to bless what we're doing and we want to start doing what you're already blessing. You have a vision and we need to get in line with your vision. So show us, God, the way I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I wanted to introduce you to my family really quickly here. That's uh, my son, Gary, on the left. He goes to Southern University. Amen. Amen. Three of you. That's all right. That's good. All right. My daughter, Sierra, is hoping to go to Andrews University. We're trying to cover all the bases. And that's me, obviously. There's my beautiful wife, Erica. Amen. Have you noticed that pastors always have beautiful wives? It's called Grace. That's why they preach all about grace. That's why, because they've experienced it. Now, I have a wonderful wife, Erica. She's studying nursing. And then my son, Benjamin, goes to Southwestern Adventist University. Amen. All right. I got a one strong amen in the groove. All right. So that's my family. I wish they could be here, but they're packing from Maine and getting ready to head back to university. Uh, you might know me. I'm Pastor Gary Blanchard. I'm the new world youth director for the church. And one of my jobs is to oversee um, some amazing ministries. We have adventurers. How many of you grew up in adventurers? Raise your hand really high. 
Pathfinders, how about Pathfinders? <clears throat> how many of you have been involved in the Ambassador Program? A few of you have on that. How about Master Guides? Oh man, Master Guides are the Navy SEALs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. <laughs> you get lost in the woods, you want a Master Guide with you, all right? And also uh, involved in all types of young adult ministry. How many of you heard of Global Youth Day? Global Youth Day, we had 150 million impressions for Global Youth Day last year. 150 million. Over 3 million young people were involved in Global Youth Day last year. So I hope all of you will plan to get involved in that. Um, we also have a whole lot of events happening in the world. Um, I want you to take out your cell phone really quickly. I know some of you were in my last class, so I'm repeating myself, but this is my like intro commercial. But uh, if, you, if you could take out your cell phones and go to Facebook, gcyouthministries.org, if you just like us there, then you'll be in touch with all the things that are happening for youth and young adult ministry around the globe, so you can be in touch with us. Also, we have a brand new address to our website, youth.avenus.org. So let me ask you a trick question. Where would you go to learn everything you need to know about Global Youth Day and how to get one started in your church? Go. Let's say you wanted to get a free book on the Holy Spirit, and you're like, man, I would love to start a small group on the Holy Spirit and learn how to reach people and that kind of thing. Where would you go to get a book on the Holy Spirit? Okay, let's, let's say you were planning a global youth day, and you also wanted to plan a week of prayer afterwards. Where would you get all the sermons and the PowerPoints that you all could use to do your week of prayer? Anyway, guys, there's a whole lot of things on our, our webpage that you want to check out. Make sure you don't miss out on what's happening globally around you. It's some amazing stuff. Amen? Um, some of you may not realize this, but Adventist World Radio and the General Conference Youth Department are getting together, and we're, we're holding a huge mission trip, a preaching mission trip, in the Philippines. And so that's going to be awesome. Um, so if you're interested in getting involved in something like that, we also have a calendar that we have online at our website, adventistyouth.avenist.org. We have that calendar there that you can get to. Um, just a lot of stuff. We also have a newsletter. I mean, I could go on and on. There's so many things there to check out. Here's that uh, mission trip to Palawan. How many of you have ever gone and done Share Him before? Raise your hand. A Share Him ministry. Okay. How many of you have ever done a, uh, an evangelistic sermon before? Raise your hand. Okay. What we're going to be doing is we're all going to be converging on the Palawan Islands there, and we're holding 100 sites run by young people who are going to be preaching on those various sites. So if you want to learn more about that and register for that, you can go to the, the website as well. There's just a lot of stuff going on around the world. Just so we can look really cool, here are all of our social media things right here. Amen? So we're trying to be cool, trying to connect with you in every possible social media way we possibly can think of. So we have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google. If you have your phone, take a picture of this right now, at least for my sake, so I think that I'm really cool. So get a picture of that. So that just gives you all the ways you can get in touch with uh, what's happening around the world with youth ministry. I really love this logo right here. This was, logo gets me up in the morning. This is our AY logo. Notice this. It says three angels. Everybody say three angels. One message, One message to all the world, all the world. Through, youth. through youth. Let's say it again. Three angels. Three angels. One, message One message to all the world, all the world. Through, youth. through youth. Isn't that awesome? That is just the mission statement right there. This is what gets me up in the morning. This is what I'm all about in the youth department is, is trying to help young people understand their identity as Seventh-day Adventists, to know the three angels' message, to get them excited about preaching Jesus around the world. We serve a wonderful God, do we not? Do you know he's a God of rest? He says, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, I will what? I'll give you rest. He's a God of rest. Did you know that when God, every single day, starts with rest? Did you know that? Every single day starts with rest. Because we know in the Bible, days are made up of what? 
evening and morning. So every day begins with rest. It's like he's trying to tell us something. Amen? He's a God of rest, right? Do you notice when he created Adam, he created him on Friday, right? So that he could spend an entire day doing what? Resting. And we also have the Sabbath where God is like giving us a free vacation every week to rest with him. Amen? And this is the same thing when it comes to salvation. We're not supposed to work to be saved. We're supposed to rest in the finished work. Everybody say after me, the only thing that works is the finished work. Amen? So we are to rest. You know what's amazing about Seventh-day Adventist Christians that rest? They're some of the hardest workers. Amen? Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then notice what he says. Take my what? Yoke upon you. You see, when we experience the rest that God has provided for us, all the ways that our God of rest has caused us to rest, we're motivated to live for him. And that's why we do works, not to try to get God to like us, but because we know he loves us. Amen? We're responding to his grace. So I love uh, traveling around the world, uh, helping young people that uh, follow that. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you're a leader. Okay, now this time, say it like you actually mean it. All right, let's try that. Okay, go. <laughs> now I want you to turn to them and say, the question is, are you a godly leader? Ah. Ah. All right. I, I want you to read this uh, quote with me. Now, these, sermon, these talks that I've been doing on leadership, they're kind of a series. It's okay if you missed the first one and all that, so don't worry about it. But, so we're kind of repeating ourselves a little bit as we build up into the next step in being a godly leader. But I think it's very important these last days that we have godly leaders. Don't you think so? It's very important. But I wanted you to see here that everybody is a leader. Now, I know there's some people that have a special gift for leadership. We can see it. It's a spiritual gift. We know that, right? And we also know that some people have a gift of evangelism, but we're all supposed to witness, right? So there's people that have a special gift of leadership, but we're all leaders. Come on now. Amen? So let's read this together. It's Gospel Workers, page 67, paragraph 3. One, two, three, go. In view of their high calling, the youth among us should not seek for amusement or for selfish gratification. The salvation of souls is to be the motive that inspires them to action. In their God-given strength, they are to rise above every enslaving, debasing habit. They are to ponder well the paths of their feet, remembering that where they lead the way, others what? Will follow. No one lives for himself. All exert an influence for good or for evil. You are a leader. The question is, to whom are you leading? Amen? You know, the Bible actually says you're either gathering or scattering, right? There's no sitting on the fence. You're either gathering or you're scattering. You're either leading closer to God or you're leading away. And that needs to solemnly stick in our minds because there's no such thing as just sitting on the fence and not being a leader. You are leading. In fact, I can prove it to you. Facebook. You got some followers on Facebook? How many of you got followers on Facebook? All right. How many of you got followers on Instagram? So you got followers. You got people watching you. How about Twitter? How about Snapchat? How about a little brother or a little sister? How about uh, employees? Employers. We got people watching us all the time, don't we? Relationships, boyfriend or girlfriend. How many have a boyfriend or girlfriend? How many have a husband or a wife? All right, so people are watching you guys all the time, and they're following us. They're following us by watching us in our lives. So we are all being followed. So we just got talk, talking about how we need to get lit with the Holy Spirit. That's the first step in becoming a godly leader is to get lit with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, get lit. Get lit. In, the right way. in the right way. 
through the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that. By the way, I did a whole series on the Holy Spirit. It's at, it's at a um, site called uh, rightlytrained.org. If you go to rightlytrained.org, I did a whole series on getting lit with the Holy Spirit or getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if you want to learn more about that, if you missed the last session. But we're going to be talking about catching God's vision. We serve a God that has an amazing vision. Amen? The problem is we're always consulting ourselves. Like we'd like to form little committees to come up with vision statements. Have you noticed that? And yet our visions end up being so small compared to God's. But if we could get involved with God's vision, we'd be leading in that direction. We would see a lot more amazing things happening in our ministry and our lives just by following God's vision. So the second step in being a godly leader is not following your vision or man's vision. It's to get in line with God's vision. Instead of asking God to bless what you're doing, start doing what he's already blessing. Get involved with what God is already doing. Uh, and that is where we start seeing some wonderful things. Um, United States presidents, don't you love them? Amen? Uh, some hesitancy there. We have a lot of presidents, and you know, all of these guys had some serious, serious problems, all right? Um, but all of them had some pretty cool strengths, too, right? Uh, you know, Garfield was assassinated, but you know, Garfield was the only ordained minister out of all of them. Pretty cool, I guess, kind of. Depends how you look at that. But he was an ordained, ordained minister. Uh, we know that George Washington had an incredible ability to endure. Remember Valley Forge? If he hadn't been willing to endure there, we would have lost the war, the Revolutionary War. He stood, stood out. Uh, very, just a strong, strong leader in that regard. We could go through the list and take a look at a lot of them here. Um, Truman. I love Truman because of, not only was he a genius, but he was also faithful to his wife. Can you say amen? amen? This guy had integrity and character. He was faithful to his wife. You can't say that for all the presidents, unfortunately. can't say that for all of them. Uh, probably my favorite, well, I like uh, Franklin Roosevelt, who led our country through two wars and through the Great Depression. Can you say amen? That's amazing. That's amazing leadership. Um, and Teddy Roosevelt is probably my favorite. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was like the man's man. I mean, he was shot one day with a 32 caliber point blank in the middle of a campaign speech. And he said, well, I probably, I probably can't speak very long now because I got a bullet in me, but uh, <laughs> he went and preached for another 50 minutes. And while blood was pulling at us, he also rode a moose. I mean, the guy was, he tamed a moose. That's a cowboy. That's, that, makes te that puts Texas to shame. But yeah, he was, he was an amazing guy. Do you know another, another thing we find about leaders throughout, especially a lot of our presidents, they were avid readers. Um, everybody say, leaders learn. Yeah, if you're, not leading, if you're not learning, you're probably not going to lead very long because your learning has got to stay in, in step with the cultural changes that are happening. So you've got to constantly be learning. Uh, Roosevelt would actually study his, uh, read one book a night. So he didn't watch uh, movies or anything like that. He went to bed early. He was up in bed. He put his, he put his uh, 45 caliber under his pillow. And then he would sit there and he'd read a book every single night. Every year he re read 500 books. The guy was brilliant. And every time he thought he was getting too big for his britches or too proud, he would go outside and look at the stars, and then he'd remember how small he is. Then he'd go back and say, I'm pretty small. Now I can, I'm now real focused. But so many, so many amazing things about uh, that guy is amazing. Um, we can go on with others. We have uh, Obama. I like his swag, the way he t walked. You know, Everything was going to be all right. When you saw Obama walking up on the screen, you thought, yeah, everything is going to be okay. And now we have Donald Trump. All right? And that's why you're all here, right? <laughs> to learn from Donald Trump, right? Um, you know... Um, on a serious note, as Seventh-day Adventists, we should do a lot more praying for our presidents than trashing them, don't you think? And the reason why Seventh-day Adventists should is because we believe in the Bible. 
And the Bible says we are to pray for our leaders. Amen? And I'm not just talking to the President of the United States. You should be praying for the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, President of our conferences, anybody that's in leader is a target. And we have to remember that they're human too, right? Is that true? So keeping that in mind. Also, some of you might have a real negative opinion of Donald Trump, but keep this in mind that we can even learn from the shrewd managers. You guys remember the story in Luke chapter 16? God pulls a lesson from a, from a guy that was a businessman who, got, who they felt was a little bit shady, but God was able to pull a lesson from his life so we can learn lessons. Amen? Let's not shut our mind to learning some lessons. But I'm not going to talk a whole lot about this, but except just to say that he does have a vision. Amen? He's got a vision. You might not agree with the vision, but he has a vision. To make what? We all know it, right? To make America great again. Whether you agree with that or not, or whether you agree that the nation needs to be made great again, that's the debate that's going on. But he has a vision, okay? He has a vision. And so we can appreciate the fact that he's got a vision like that. Um, I just got done reading a book by him because I thought I needed to get ready for all the incredible information I'm going to be giving you in this class. So I read the book called Think Big. Um, <clears throat> pretty good, but I, I'm not going to be quoting from this book. <laughs> a lot of this uh, is a little bit contrary to, to my, my beliefs on leadership and sometime in the Bible, but there's some principles in there. And one of the things that he says that I thought that I really grabbed a hold of in the book, Think Big, is that we need to think big. All right? Maybe you've heard a saying that goes like this, uh, go big or go home. Right? I think we should go big so we can go home. Amen? Amen? Turn to the person next to you. I love that. Let's say it. Turn to the person next to you and say, let's go big so we can go home. I mean, if we serve a big God, shouldn't we have big vision? Right? Don't you think we should have big vision? You know, go big or go home. Let's replace that with going big so we can go home. Let's think big things. Let's think big things because we serve an incredible God. Here's a quote from the book right here, I thought, um, just to uh, point this out. This is one area that I think is a positive with Donald Trump. It says this, think big, page 267. No matter what you think, think big. Thinking big is the driving force that has forged all great achievements in modern life, from the towering skyscrapers to the amazing discoveries of science, technology, and medicine to the great industrial and military achievements. Think big is behind every successful business, church, and political organization. Pretty good, huh? I can't disagree with that. I heard a story some years ago about a man that was out fishing one day, and he, he wasn't catching anything. He was getting really frustrated. And then he looked, to make it even worse, he looked and he saw a guy in a boat fishing, catching tons of big fish, and then, to his horror, the man was throwing the big fish back in the water. He's trying to catch fish, he can't catch anything, and this guy's catching huge fish and throwing them back in the water. So finally, in frustration, he goes up to the guy and he says, dude, what's going on here? Catching these big fish, I'm not catching anything, you're catching big fish, and you're throwing them back in the water. What gives? Why are you doing this? And the man said, it's real simple. My frying pan's too small. <laughs> His frying pan was too small. You know why a lot of churches miss God's opportunities? Because their frying pan is too small. The pastor came up with his own vision. Or the elders came up with their own vision. They thought it was big, but for the size of what God wanted to send their way, it was tiny. And we do this to ourselves in conferences, in local churches, general conference, or whatever else. We come up with small plans that we think are big, and then God sends these huge ones because his vision is massive, and we can't handle the vision. We can't handle the opportunities because our vision is too small. It's very important that our frying pans get much bigger. We've got to have big frying pans. It said we need a God-sized frying pan so that God can send his vision, 
his, the things that he wants to send in our life. And God, and Jesus was an incredible visionary, amen? You know, I love the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Man, this, this is powerful, guys. Do you know he was trying to test his disciples when he cast a vision for them? He said, hey, we need to feed all these people. It's 5,000. Now, that's just 5,000 people, men, I'm sorry. We're not thinking about the women and children that were there too, right? So let's say, let's say there was 10,000. So he tests his disciples and he says, we need to feed all these people. That's, that's pretty good vision, isn't it? That's vision. Whenever it's a God's vision, it's always for other people. It's always to minister the needs of other people. Can you say amen? And what was the first thing the disciples said? We don't have any money. Haven't you noticed that that is the first thing that happens in every church when God casts a vision in a church? We don't have the money for that. Our frying pan is too small. He was testing them. In fact, the Bible actually says he was testing them to see what they would do as his God-sized vision. Thank God for Andrew. Because Andrew saw a young GYC young person. And that GYC young person had five loaves and what? Two fish. And so God, using a little lad and some little loaves, a small amount of resources, was able to complete an entire vision. So when we think of God's vision, we need to remember, God wants to complete that vision in the same way through young people with little resources. Blessed by him. Because remember, he blessed it, right? And everybody ate. They were all satisfied. That's a miracle. Amen? And not only were they all satisfied, there was what? There was leftovers. Whenever God casts a vision, he's looking for little lads with little resources to step up, who have faith and confidence in him. Amen? So let's not forget that. Here's, look at the size of Jesus' frying pan right here. Let's read this together. One, two, three, go. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. God's vision is for the gospel to go to the entire world. Amen? Not just to North America. Not just to the countries that are not dominated by other religions that are contrary to Christianity. He wants us to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Muslim, Buddhist countries, wherever it is. Notice, this is a huge frying pan. God is not satisfied with your church just reaching its local community. God's vision is for you to go into all the world. Amen? You know, I remember going to a church one day uh, not long ago, um, and I noticed that the pastor had all these flags around his in the sanctuary, and I was like, man. Afterwards, I came up to him and asked him. It wasn't an Adventist church. They were having a, a funeral there, and one of my uh, friends had passed away, so I was there. And I asked him afterwards, I said, boy, all these flags. He goes, yeah, we send people all over the world. And I said, man, how many members do you have in your church? And he goes, we have about 150. And I said, man, if you didn't send all these people, you'd have like 400 people in the church. And he smiled at me. He goes, you don't understand. It's not your seating capacity. It's your sending capacity. He said, listen to me. He goes, because we've sent people, we have over 40,000 people that call this church their home church. 40,000. You've got to understand something, and every pastor needs to figure this out pretty quick, especially since we're living in the last days. It is not your seating capacity. It's your sending capacity. It really is. It's are you sending people because God's vision is big, or are you keeping your frying pan? Let's keep as many people as we can. By the way, if you tithe people, God will give you a return just like he does in finances. Amen. So God, Jesus has an incredible vision. It's a huge frying pan. And as leaders, we've got to get behind his frying pan if we want to see amazing things happen. We've got to get behind God's vision to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And, and, and he promises, and then the end will come. I've often wondered if we actually have our foot on the gas pedal as in regards to when Jesus returns. And this gospel of the kingdom will preach in all the world, and then the end will come. 
It's like God wants everybody to be saved. Does that kind of sound like him? And we are his troops. And people are thinking, oh, we don't have the money for that. He's testing us. You've got little lads, you've got a lot of young people, and you've got little resources. Go. Look at this right here. Revelation 14, verse 6. Here's another vision right here. Three angels' message. is a visionary statement. Let's read it together. And I saw another what? Angel. Flying in the midst of heaven. Having what? Everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell in North America. It doesn't say North America. Okay, sorry. To preach to what? Every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. You know what's amazing about Ellen White? She caught God's vision. Look at this right here. This is, this is what she says. She caught this vision, and she, extend, she goes crazy with it. Look at this. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, 1855, page 28. She says this. Read it together. One, two, three, go. I saw jets of light shining from cities and villages and from the high places and the low places of the earth. God's word was obeyed. Now watch the size of her frying pan. Watch this. And as a result, there were memorials. Some people believe those are church plants. There were memorials for him in every city and village. His truth was proclaimed throughout the world. Now, if you talk to Doug Venn, we estimate there's about 500 churches around, 500 cities around the world that do not have a single Seventh-day Adventist in them. And she is saying, look, God wants us to put a church or a mission in every city and what? Village around the world. Can you see how our small frying pans really miss out on huge opportunities? If we caught God's vision like she did, we'd get crazy about finishing this work. And we would see miracles happen. Amen? Amen. By the way, did you know most of Jesus' miracles happened outside the church and not inside the church? If you want to see miracles, go where God is. He's fulfilling his mission. I'm looking at right now at statistics where there may be three or four Seventh-day Adventists in some countries in China, some areas in China. Three or four Adventists. We've got to become a, a movement again of missionary movement. Amen? Because we've lost his vision. We've got to catch his vision. You want to be a spiritual leader, a godly leader? Get lit with his spirit and catch his vision. Three angels' message. I love the three angels' message. You know, I, I've kind of simplified the three angels' message in my mind because I'm a real simpleton. Some of you can get really deep. I know some people could spend their whole career as a doctor studying the three angels' message, and you should. But I've made it really simple in my own mind. The first angel's message in my mind is listing up Jesus, who is the everlasting gospel. The first angel's message is Jesus and his righteousness. Can you say amen? That's the everlasting gospel. You know, as Seventh-day Adventists, we should never ask, how does God see me? That's not the right answer. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you don't see yourself that way. Instead of asking, how does God see me? We should be asking, how does God see Jesus? Because we are covered in his righteousness. Amen? So the first angel's message, the everlasting gospel, is to tell the world that God wants to cover them in his righteousness. I love to use the analogy of a Bible and a pen. Christ is coming back very soon. Our only hope as the pen is to get inside the Bible and have it closed up over us. That's how we're able to stand in the great day of judgment. In the investigative judgment that began in 1844, the only way to stand is to be covered in his righteousness. The first angel's message is very clearly the everlasting gospel. And we know from Romans 1, 16 and 17 that that gospel is the righteousness of God by faith. Amen? The second angel's message, come out of Babylon, I believe, is calling people out of confusion into the clarity of his word. Amen? Amen. So the first angel's message is Jesus. The second angel's message is his word. In the last days, people need to know the truth about the dead. Amen? A lot of deception happening in the world today. They need to know the truth about the dead. They need to be led out of confusion into the clarity of God's word. Amen? So 
The first angel's message is Jesus. The second angel's message is his word. And the third angel's message is that God has a church. Amen? His church. God has a church. And our church is very beautiful because our church has all the markings of God's last day church. It comes up after 1844. Amen? Right? You can see it because his judgment has come, so it comes up after 1844. It's a church that believes in keeping all of God's commandments, but we don't do it legalistically. Why? Because we have a faith in Jesus as our only Savior, so our obedience comes out of appreciation for the cross and what Christ accomplished for us. So here's a church that understands grace and salvation by faith, and it's also a church that's been revived by the Spirit, who are walking, living obediently to all of God's commandments, including the Sabbath, a church that rises up after 1844, a church that has patience, waiting for the second coming of Jesus. There's no other church that has that kind of birthmark. First angel's message is Jesus and his righteousness. Second angel's message is his word, the Bible, calling people out of Babylon into the clarity of God's word. And the third angel's message is, in the last days, this just makes sense, God has a church. You don't have to be confused by the 30,000 different denominations out there. No, God has the markings of his people in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I believe that with all my heart. You know, when my little daughter was born, um, she was born with a birthmark. I mean, you might have heard me tell this story. It's my favorite story, but she was born a little birthmark on the side of her face. And um, as soon as she was born, I, I kissed that little spot, and I call it my kiss spot. It's my poor daughter. Everywhere I go, I look for her little birthmark on the side of her face, turn her face, and kiss that little spot. It's daddy's kiss spot. And uh, ever since she was a little baby, that was my kiss spot. And I can remember one day when she was seven years old, she was hanging out with a bunch of little kids, and they started making fun of her, you know, birthmark. And I was about ready to get in a fight with a seven-year-old. I was like, yeah, that'd be the end of my career, right, forever. It's like, what? But my little daughter, she wasn't offended. She looked at the kids and said, it's not ugly. It's my kiss spot. She was bold. That shut them right down. You know, at Seventh-day Adventists, we've got to stop being wimpy about this. You have a special birthmark. Don't be embarrassed when people call you names or whatever else, you're ugly, you're a cult, whatever. No, 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 we got, we got our Father's kiss spot. God's remnant church. We have the markings of God's end time church. That's not because we're better than everybody else, but God has given us a special purpose to preach that three angels message, to point people to Jesus in these last days, to call people out of confusion into the word of God and tell people there is a body in the last days. God does have a church in the last days of earth's history. You don't need to be confused. He has a church and here are all the marks. So when everybody makes fun of you, you say, no, nah, it's just my kiss spot, right? So God has really blessed us as a church. You know, um, the Seventh-day Adventist denomination has always, very, in, from its very inception, have believed in God's vision and in going into all the world. Did you know that? Did you know that for many years we did not have paid pastors in the Seventh-day Adventist church? Did you know that? We didn't. We had pastors, but they were local members who had the gift of pastoral ministry. Our pastors were paid to go into places where there were no churches and raise up congregations. So they would begin with the local church by training all the members to run the church. Then they would leave and they would go and plant churches. So we paid our tithe in order that the message would go forward fast. So our pastors were going and raising up new churches everywhere. And the local people, sorry, buddy, forgive me, don't sue me for that. And the, the local people not only cared for their local church, but they also did local evangelism. So our church was moving very rapidly, very fast. But something happened around the turn of the century, around the 1900s, now around 1915. All of a sudden, we became very concerned about our little frying pan. 
we notice that all the other denominations had a pastor hovering over them. They have a frying pan. We like their frying pan. We don't want God's frying pan anymore to take the message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Give us their frying pan. So around the 1920s, we began to shift and began to put pastors over our churches. And guess what? Here's a church with an incredible three angels message who has a little frying pan. There must be a revolution in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Churches around the world need to say, Pastor, train us how to do ministry, because that's your role. The Bible says that in Ephesians chapter 4, the, the role of a pastor is to train the members for ministry. Pastor, train us how to run the church and reach our local communities. And pastor, we release you to go and plant churches where there are no churches, and let's do it quickly so we can finish the work that others might be saved. Are we serious about the three angels' message, or are we just playing around with the three angels' message? Did God actually give us the very last message of warning and hope to the world before he comes back or not? And if you notice the three angels' message, after the three angels' message is preached, we have Revelation 14, verse 14, which describes the second coming of Jesus. God's trying to tell us something. Three angels' message is his very last message to the world. And we need to get a bigger frying pan. Can you say amen? We need to really do this. And I, and I want to say that if that never happens, you don't have to wait for that to happen. Young people, God is sending you out into the harvest. Right? He's sending you with this wonderful message into these places where they have not heard the message. So we've talked about God's strategy. How is God going to do this? The first way God is going to do this is through revival. Can everybody say revival? Uh, this is crucial. Uh, our first work as a church is to seek spiritual revival. We need to get lit, right? I told you about GYC. GYC was started by some young people who got together and began to pray that God would do something through them. And through that little meeting years ago, I think it was 2002, GYC was started in a movement. I think their, their first meeting, uh, your first meeting was in California. Help me out if I'm wrong on this, Justin. Am I right on this? Okay. First was in California. You expected 200. You got 400. Amen. <laughs> Then it grew, and now you're up to averaging around 7,000 on Sabbaths, right, at these events. Because young people got together, there was a revival. Young people need to get together in their dorm rooms, in their churches, in their schools, in their homes, all around the world to begin to pray, God, show us what we want to do. We know you don't send people out as lone rangers. We need each other. So God, show us what you want us to do. We're here. Show us and guide us, and God will do the same thing. Amen? Show you what he wants you to do with your life. Um, how many of you guys have heard of Ezekiel's dry bones? Yeah, that's one of my favorite stories. Um, you know, one of the things, how much time do I have, by the way? 20 minutes? 25 minutes, okay. Um, as I was reading that story, God impressed me about something. Did you realize that all those bones in Ezekiel's vision were all bones of warriors, soldiers, right? Is that true? Who fights battles? Huh? Young people fight battles. Think about that for a minute. The old folks don't. All right? The old folks are the commanders and officers sending the young people into war. These are bones of young people. God showed me something else. These are not just bones of any young person. These are bones of young people from the house of Israel. That's what the passage says. You check it out for yourself later on from the house of Israel. We know that because of the cross, Jews and Gentiles who have faith in Jesus are included in Israel. They're Israel, right? They're the new Israel. So these are not just young people. These are Christian young people. God is revealing a vision to us. And then this is where it gets really exciting. Do you know that over and over again, in spirit of prophecy, young people are described as the army of God? This is not just young people. And it's not just Christian young people. 
I believe Ezekiel's vision is pointing out Adventist young people in the very last days of his history, like dry bones. But something happens. Ezekiel begins to pray, and the Spirit of God enters into those dry bones. And the Bible says they arise to be an exceeding great army. I believe that's the three angels' message run by the youth of the Seventh-day Adventist church in the last days of earth's history. God has given us a vision of what he's going to do. When young people say, you know what, we're tired of trying to do this in the natural, we want to do it in the supernatural, we need to get lit by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they get lit by the power of the Spirit daily, and God begins to start a movement. So the first thing that needs to happen is there needs to be a revival. Can you say amen? amen? The second thing that needs to happen is we need to get rightly trained. I have noticed that um, a lot of people today are saying things like, the, the youth are not the future, the youth are the church. And then what they do is they dump everything on you. You know what I'm talking about? The youth are not the future. It sounds really good. Everybody's like, hey, man, let's sing another chorus to that one. Woo! The church, you are the church. And then we dump everything on you. That is a recipe for disaster. Jesus didn't even do that. Jesus saw young people as future leaders, and you know what he did with them? He saw them as leaders. You know what he did with them? He allowed them to observe him doing ministry. Then he invited them to participate with him in ministry. And then he activated them as leaders. It took three years. It was a process. He didn't dump it on them. He took them through a process. Can you say amen? You see, I, youth are the church. Don't get me wrong. But they need to be taken through a process of leadership. We can't dump it on them. We need to help them by observation. Everybody say observation. observation. Participation. Participation. And activation. Leaders need to make sure that they're doing that with our young people. We don't just throw them the keys. Train them. Take them through a process. Let them watch you in action. You know, pastors, it's not enough to take a young person, or youth leaders I'm talking about too, into a room and show them how to do ministry by scribbling a bunch of steps to evangelism on the board. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus took them with him and showed them how to do it. Then he helped them get involved in what he was doing. And then and only then did he send them in twos to go ahead and practice what he had taught them. So he took them through a process. Can you say amen? Think, think, for instance, Moses and Joshua. Moses spent a lot of time with Joshua, didn't he? He saw him as a leader, but he took him through a process of leadership. And we need to train young people. I believe young people need to be trained in some critical areas. We need to be training young people right now to plant churches. We really do. New generational churches run by young people who have been trained by godly men and women and equipped and trained and sent to plant churches in places where there are no churches. We don't have to wait for a revolution in the church. We can be the revolution today. A bloodless, God-honoring revolution that takes God's message to the world, young people. But we need to be revived by the Spirit, and we can do that daily, and we need to be rightly trained by godly men and women in the church. You know, a lot of adults think that if they're not youth anymore, they might as well just go on carnival cruises all the time. What do I, why else am I here? The youth are the church. No, who do you think is going to train them? The experience of the leaders of the church. We need to be training and mentoring like Jesus did and like Moses did. Very, very important. So we need to train them in church planting. I kind of wrote down several things here. I believe young people need to be trained to hold evangelistic meetings in places where evangelistic meetings have not been taught. Some of you may be interested in being part of the Philippines trip to the Philippines where you can get some training on, on holding an evangelistic meeting. But we need to train young people to hold evangelistic meetings. We need to train young people to go into public universities how many of you have heard of ACF, Adventist Christian Fellowship? That's the North American Division's um, 
public campus ministries initiative. That's, you need to get involved in that. Wherever Ron Paquel is training, you need to go there and get training on how to reach the secular universities and build bridges from those universities into the local churches. We've got to get trained. You've got to get trained to reach the local universities and stand for what's right. Our young people need to be trained to start small groups that are being baptized with the Holy Spirit and actively involved in ministry. We need to train our young people to be leaders in the local churches. And we need to train our young people in apologetics and being able to defend their faith. There's a lot of, a lot of things I could say about that. I already talked about that a little bit. Um, you know, um, one of my favorite um, quotes, if I can ever find it again. What happened? I'm all messed up here. Yeah, we don't want to see that, do we? Okay. We already covered that. All right, anyway. One of my favorite quotes is, with such an army of workers as our youth. Have you heard that one before? My wife is really anxious to get in touch with me, apparently, there. Something. But, you know, we've been called, um, with such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained, how soon the gospel can go to the world. Do you remember that? How soon the message of a crucified, risen, and Savior can go to the world. How soon the end of sin and suffering. Do you know she says, how soon, three times? I thought that was interesting, because we know there are three angels, right? With such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained, then she says it three times, how soon the message of a crucified and risen Savior can go to the world, how soon the end of sin and suffering, and then finally, how soon we'll be able to be with Christ in heaven, basically is what she says in the last part of that verse. She says it three times. I think what we're hearing, seeing here is God is giving us a revelation that God is sending our young people, you guys, as his wings of the three angels' message in the last days. You are the way the message goes speedily into the world. Very exciting. So God's vision, God's vision is for every nation, kindred, tongue, and people to hear the everlasting gospel of his son, the three angels' message, to be called out of Babylon into the clarity of his word. God is also in the last days of verse history pointing out he has a church. He has a movement in the last days and inviting people to be a part of that movement in the very end of verse history. And he's also outlined for us the three ways, the three steps to making that happen. Number one, revival. Number two, what? Rightly trained. And number three, a revolution of young people going as the three angels' message, the wings of the three angels' message into all the world. You know, um, I wanted to ask you guys some questions. What are some of the things that are happening in, in your world that you're seeing where young people are beginning to catch this God's vision and beginning to move forward with God's vision? Can anybody want to share anything that you're seeing around the world? What are some of the ways that you're seeing God really moving in the world today through young people? Social media. Oh, yes, that's true. I know Pastor Adam from uh, the British Conference is doing Lineage now where he's doing video of uh, the Reformation. Oh, powerful stuff. So using social media, what else? What are some things that you're seeing? You see, it's, it's like those dry bones are beginning to come together right now. Remember in the story of Ezekiel 37, the dry bones, start, everything starts coming together? We're starting to see a little bit of that happening around the world. Any other examples? Tell, tell us a little bit about that. That's awesome. How many of you have been co-porters before? Oh, man, that's awesome. Excellent. 
So through the colporting ministry, so social media, we're seeing things happen. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, GYC is a definite testimony to what God is doing around the world. What other things are you seeing? Yes. Oh, that's excellent. All right. Oh, man, what is that called again? Evangelistic Resource Center at Southern College. That's excellent. Amen. Because we have such an opportunity with many of them coming into this country with nothing to do and where to, where to go and get connected. That's very good. So reaching refugees, Seventh-day activists. Love it. Love it. Anything else that you've seen? Yeah, Bobby. Wow. Amen. They can minister to the physical and, and share the spiritual as a result. Very good. Excellent. Anybody else? Anything else that you've seen God moving? What are some of the things that God may be impressing you upon to, to follow his vision in? You see his vision to take the gospel to the world. What are some of the things that God may be laying on your heart right now? You're not making a promise that you're going to do it, but you're saying God may be impressing me in a certain area. Does anybody want to share what God might be placing on your heart? Some kind of a mission, ministry, calling, whatever else? Anybody want to share? Okay. Yeah, sometimes we want to do missionary work where we're not rather than doing missionary work where we are. Well said. Very good. I love it. Start where you're at. Excellent. That's excellent. Creating resources to help aviation, people in aviation have a passion for ministry. Can you all hear him? Sorry. Speak up real loud there. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to seek for 
think wealth. I'm thinking that having a lot of wealth can help ministries more. Uh, but really, with self-contemplation, I realized that it was pretty self-free um, that I didn't know. Hmm. And so, yes, I was thinking big, you know, trying to do everything that I can, thinking that that's going to help the gospel. But it really came down to my self-intrigement. But at the same time, uh, I was blessed because through that process of trying to make a lot of money, I learned a lot of principles that these successful people use uh, in, in how they became millionaires and things like that. But how those principles were really taken from a lot of the principles of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. And now I was able to see that. I was like, that's amazing. They just use that God's laws in order to you know, gain wealth for themselves. But why did you for the gospel. Why Excellent. Why use that for the young people? So now my mind has changed saying that, okay, I could literally take these things and help other young people be trained so that they could do the bigger things um, using those principles. That's awesome. Very good. I love it. I love to hear that. Really good, guys. Well, I wanted to hear from some of you and, and what God's doing in your life. There's probably others here today um, that have some things that God is doing. But I promise you that as you seek the Lord every morning and get lit by His Spirit, God will begin to show you what He wants you to do in ministry. And like this gentleman over here said, sometimes it doesn't have to be a far away. Sometimes it'll be locally. God will open up doors right locally for you. You know, um, I wanted to end with a story with you. I've got, what, 10 minutes left, right? Um, I heard some time ago, and I, I'm not sure if it was Mark Finley that told this or if I read it in the review, but... Uh, just really moved me. Do you know Jesus said the harvest is ripe, right? You notice he said that, but the labors are few. Have you noticed that there are a lot of people today that are saying things like the 10 spies, saying things like, well, you really can't reach them because uh, that's impossible. We can't go in there and take that place. The, the people are too great there, too many giants. They're postmodern. You've heard that? Or they're post-postmodern. Or they're pre-Christian. And I'm not saying we shouldn't look at some of those things and what they're all about, but a lot of times people use that as is, you know, fear tactic, we can't go there. But Jesus said, who cares what the ten spies say? Jesus said the harvest is ripe. It's the labors that are few, right? Well, the story is about this young woman who was traveling uh, into a country where they thought that nobody had an interest in God in that country. It was pre-Christian. They, they, were, they, they weren't responding to the gospel message. But this young woman had picked up a box of 50 great controversies. Do you guys, did you guys read this story? I think it was in the review. Powerful story. She takes these great controversies, and she doesn't know what she's going to do with them because, of course, you know, they all say that you can't reach people in this part of the, part of the world. So she took the ten great controversies with her, and she was driving, crossed over into her country. I won't say which country it is, but she was traveling along, and she got caught in this major traffic jam, and everybody was just kind of like stuck in the road. They couldn't go anywhere. And people were getting out of their cars and just kind of mingling and stuff, and she decided she would study her Sabbath school lesson right there in her car at the middle of the traffic jam. So she got out her Sabbath school lesson. She was reading about the second coming and last day events. That happened to be the study at the time. And she hears a knock on her window, and she looks, and there's a guy standing there. And he goes, hey, you know, I'm just walking around bored like everybody else. Saw you were reading something. Just wanted to know, what are you reading? What are you, what are you studying? She goes, oh, I'm reading uh, my Bible and my Sabbath school lesson and learning about the second coming of Jesus and how we're living at the very end of earth's history. And the guy says, you know, I've really been convicted on that myself. That's that we are, that things are changing. He says, where can I learn more about this? She says, well, i got some books back here. Would you like a great controversy? So she gave him a great controversy, and they talked a little bit longer than he, than he left. She goes back to reading her Sabbath school lesson. This is a true story, right? You know, if Mark Finley tells it, it's got to be true, right? Totally true. You know it's right on. And so maybe it wasn't Mark Finley. It's probably Evans Review, but anyway. Um, so 
Another, she, he's, she's studying again. There's a knock on the window again. This time there's a woman at the door. At the, and she rolls down the window and says, yes, ma'am. She goes, you just gave my husband a book. And I know he's going to read it and he's never going to share it with me. Do you have an extra one of these books? And she goes, you know, I actually do. And she reached back in there. Now, how many does she have left? 48. She gives it to, to um, her. And she's like, thank you. And they talk a little bit. And they talk really, they get real animated, you know, talking a little bit. And other people begin to mill around the, the, the car because they're all bored. And so they all start talking. And she begins to talk about the second coming of Jesus and last day events and God's coming soon and the cross and how to be ready. And she's sharing all these. People are really, really listening. Then they all start asking, well, where did we learn more about this? We didn't know about this. Where did we learn more about this? She goes, wow, funny thing. I got some great controversies in the back. And she gives out all of her great controversies except for three of them. And people go back to their cars. And all of a sudden, she hears this helicopter. And this helicopter flies right over the jam and parks right in the grass to, to her right. Lands right in the grass. And the pilot gets out. And he goes running to her car. He says, ma'am, is everything okay? We've been looking on radar, and we see all these people gather around your car. Is everything fine? Is this an accident or something here? She goes, no, no, no. I was just talking to him about God and about the end time events, and God is coming back. And the guy says, you know, I've really thought a lot about that too, and that's really interesting. I'd love to learn more. She goes, oh, hey, I just happen to have a great controversy in the back. She goes, you can have this. And sure enough, the guy takes a great controversy and runs back to the helicopter, and then he stops. This gave me goosebumps. Turned back, came back, and said, hey, listen, I got two friends inside the helicopter. Do you have an extra two copies? That's a dramatic story, isn't it? It's a true story. It's dramatic. But it communicates a very important point that we must not listen to the naysayers that say that these people are not ready. We must listen to Jesus who said the harvest is ripe. It's the laborers that are few. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's have prayer together. Dear Lord, We want to thank you so much that we're part of this world movement. Father, you are raising up a generation of young people in these last days that will see your vision and will seek revival and to be rightly trained. And Father, that will will do revolutionary things by going either locally or wherever you send them, Father, to do great things in your name and to your glory, and even small things to your name and to your glory. Jesus, we're sorry that we've listened to either ourselves or other people that have naysayed or scared us off like the, ten, like the ten spies. But Lord, we pray that we'd have the spirit of Caleb and Joshua. That God, we would remember that the harvest is ripe, whether it be our work or our school, even if we're going to a secular university in a, in a, um, in a, in a classroom where the professor appears to be an atheist. God, we don't know. The harvest is ripe. Help us to to have your spirit, Lord, and to, to know how to be as wise as a serpent, strategic, and as gentle as a dove, just like you, God. I pray a blessing on these young people. Thank you for our time together, God. We want to be godly leaders. Light, light us up. We want to get lit with your spirit, Lord, and we want to get involved and catch your vision. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So my next class will be later on this afternoon. It'll be on living dangerously, and I'll be talking about one year in mission. What is this one-year mission program that's happening around the world where young people are dedicating a year of their life to city evangelism? That'll be living dangerously. I think, what time is that? I think about 3 o'clock or something. It's called um, Living Dangerously. That's it. Thank you. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. 
GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.